listening to the Salt Churches podcast. Here you can listen to messages, inspiration, and lessons learned about planting microchurches all across the nation. Thank you for tuning in. To find more information, you can visit us at www.saltchurches.com. This podcast is brought to you today by Salt Church's founder, Parker Green. All right. So I'm excited to speak tonight. Um, I think I might pray first, but I feel like God wanted me to read this song. Um, We were praying before tonight, and I just had a sense that There are really certain things about revival that always happen the same way. And one of the main things about revival that always happens throughout all of history and all of time is that Jesus is always the center of church life. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the person that we're always talking about. Jesus is the person we have a relationship with. Jesus and his blood sacrifice for us and his resurrection is the number one thing at the center of everything that happens when revival takes place. And you'll start to notice, really, that when revival isn't taking place and when there's lulls in between, people are kind of taking the name of Jesus for granted, so to speak. Like, well, maybe he isn't all that powerful. Well, maybe he's not resurrected. Maybe he just floated around Earth like kind of like a waif or like, kind of like a ghost-like creature and then died. Or maybe Jesus was just like a stoic guy that walked around with zero emotion like almost every flipping TV show shows us. (laughs) Nothing drives me more crazy, and this is why I'm going to preach this until the day I die, and every single one of you are going to be so annoyed with me by the time I am dead, or you might kill me yourself. (laughs) But I hate it when people misrepresent the man Jesus Christ. And when we miss the point when it comes to Jesus, when we miss who he is, we miss everything in the gospel. Not just part of it. We don't just get a little piece here and a little piece there. If you miss Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, if you miss him for who he is, you miss the entire gospel. Let me say it one more time. There is no good news outside Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. None. Look around you. Tell me. You don't have to look at people. Look around you. Look around you. Look Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early and to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. That's like a word for me, I think God just gave me. But I think it's a word for our church across the board. What are we building? What are we building? I would hate to start this new revolutionary movement of microchurches, right? Which obviously we're copying directly from the Book of Acts in almost every other country in the world except for America. (laughs) And just build a whole other system of religion. 
And just have a whole nother thing where we just go through the process all over again and it's just smaller and crappier than a mega church. <laughs> like, be honest, right? Like, for the first six months of Salt, I was like, this is the worst church ever. <laughs> <laughs> I dislike it very much. <laughs> but then, honestly, like, there was one night where two people came. Vic and Joe. Yeah, I wasn't even there. And Jess was my, my beloved wife. <laughs> and we sat down. And we, I had, like, a whole plan for the night. I was like, all these people are going to come. And they show up, and I'm like, so what you guys want to do? <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> Moved across the country, packed up a Jeep to plant this new, viral, fast-spreading salt church, like micro-churches, right? But how sad would it be? <laughs> how sad would it be if all over again, by pointing the finger at another kind of church, which we will never do here, or trying to do it a better way, or thinking we have the way of doing church, when the reality is the only way is Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Look, here's the thing I tell people a lot of times. Well, I follow Jesus on my own. I have like my own God thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we have this relationship. Yeah, but if you're following Jesus, like, you're going to end up around his people. If you know who Jesus is, you're going to worship him. And if you really know who he is, you're going to pray to him because you believe he's alive and he can intervene in your daily circumstances. Yeah. Right? And if you really believe that, then you realize he's the master of life. And you start to learn from him and do what he does and do what he says. Explaining discipleship is really, really easy. Okay, a lot of people, what's discipleship? Is it a program? Is it this? Can you please give me a list of things to do? <laughs> like literally, dear Jesus. I'm not even saying that in vain. Just follow him. Do what he says. One-fifth of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, do what I'm telling you. A fifth of everything he says in that sermon is just go and do it. Please, the love of God. Go and do it. But if we don't know who Jesus is, and if we can't aim for the right person, then none of it works. So we have a serious problem in, in Christianity. Specifically, I would say, just because it's been my experience, Western and American Christianity. I haven't experienced elsewhere. I'm sure they have their own problems. Just like we do. Ours are just amplified because we have tons of money. And everyone's watching us on TV. And everyone's watching our people fall. If someone falls in China and screws up, nobody hears about it, right? Here, it's like, oh, blah, 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 screwed up, and he's losing his church. But everyone has their problems, right? But I would say the number one problem that I see on a daily basis when I'm walking through life, when I'm speaking with other Christians, is, first of all, someone can tell me about their whole spiritual walk with God without mentioning the name of Jesus once. As a pastor in New York and as a pastor here, that's happened to me multiple times. I'm like, well, who, what, 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 <laughs> like, who's told you this? Like, what did you think this was about besides Jesus Christ? I think the number one issue we're running into is we have a made-up Jesus. That's a hard thing to swallow. 
And it was a hard thing for me to swallow when I first ran into it. And every once in a while, I run into it again. Over the last, I would say, three or four months, things have been really tight financially. Right? It's not like we're starving. It's not like the world's ending. Things could be a heck of a lot worse. I had, you know, I had a steak last night. So it's like being struggling financially in the United States is a lot different from a lot of other places. Like things have just been really tight. A lot of outgoing, and every time there's incoming, it's like, where'd it go? And I've been realizing over the last, I would say, six months, that I had a fake Jesus that used to, I would say, serve me how I wanted him to, with money, with things, with possessions, in the time that I wanted him to do it. There was a position and a time and space in my life over the last six months where I put this idol called money I said, oh, Jesus, you're providing for me. And I'd get so angry if it didn't come at the exact time and space that I wanted him to come through for me. And I was realizing that I had made Jesus into a handbag. I made Jesus into an accessory in that part of my life. He's like someone I brought along to bail me out of some of my mistakes. If you're in this room tonight, if you're watching live, if you're listening to this podcast at some point, and your Christianity is not working for you, if this thing that you're doing is not working, I want to make a suggestion to you. Maybe, just maybe, you're following a made-up Jesus. If this Jesus keeps failing you over and over and over again, then it might be you. It's really funny, like, we do this all the time, right? Like, we think, like, all these creatures of the earth, like, even dogs, like, have emotions like us, right? We project ourselves onto the weirdest things. It's like, well, why don't you think like that? I think like that. And when we're looking at Jesus, the Lord of the universe, who's competently running the whole thing right now, seated at the right hand of God, and we go, why aren't you more like me? And so many times we'll pray to this God and pray to this God and pray to this God and pray to this God over and over and over again. But really, we're just thinking Jesus needs to respond like we would respond in that situation. So what does your made-up Jesus look like? Who is he? Here's how you know, okay? Here's a good way to know you're talking to Jesus or you're not talking to him. This is a really clear way that I've started to figure it out. Does your God ever disagree with you? Mm-hmm. If he doesn't, it's likely that it's you. Mm-hmm. If you're reading your Bible and you're never offended, it's likely your God is you. If, by any chance, whatsoever, you feel like that might be the case for you. I want, <laughs> I want you to take this gift from me. It's called daily repentance. <laughs> it's super awesome, right? Look, I know there's a lot of really fun stuff going around about like a Jesus that's going to give you like a brand new SUV, right? Maybe he will, but 
he's well within his rights to do nothing. <laughs> he really is. And I'm not saying he's not going to do anything or he doesn't care about your circumstance or situation. What I'm trying to open our eyes to here is the fact that Jesus is Lord. And saying that is unpopular. It really is. Like, well, Jesus is my friend. I talk to Jesus. Yeah, but you approach the king of the universe as a friend a lot differently than you'd approach your pal at school or at work or anywhere else. When he wants to listen to you talk, it's a lot different than approaching just a regular friend. This is a person that died for you. This is a person that rose from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit and gives you that same spirit on a daily basis to walk out your life. And it's so incredible to me. It's so incredible to me how many issues and how many problems we have. Maimon, depression, general sadness and melancholy, suicide, violence, anger, lust out of control. Literally, a, the internet is broken with lust. And the general hatred for women is blasted across it. And you know what the devil calls it? Liberation. We have all these problems. And we want to make Jesus our buddy. I need a Jesus that can destroy these things. I need a Jesus that can judge these things. I need a Jesus that can rescue a little girl out of human trafficking through one of his people. I need a Jesus that is powerful beyond imagination. I need a Jesus that understands me and knows me when I'm weeping in a shower, like when I first got saved at 18 years old and I did not know what to do with my life. And I need a Jesus that understands when I can't pay my bills and he's the only one that can do it. I also need a Jesus that I, when I wake up in the morning and I'm a jerk to my wife, he's going to set me straight and I know that he has the power to put inside of me to correct course. That's not a pal. A friend can give you good advice, right? And you can take that advice or leave it. But Jesus, the friend and Lord of your life, can give you the power to do what he's asked, asked you to do. He says, don't be angry. He says, turn the other cheek. He says, don't even look upon a woman with lust or you've already basically slept with her. He says all these things. Ladies, don't walk down the aisle with a guy <laughs> as you see him on TV or anywhere. Fantasizing about relationship is the same thing. So the reality is we don't have the power in and of ourselves to do that. And when we try to do it apart from the real Jesus, it's impossible. So I just want to introduce you today to who this Jesus is. I want to introduce you to a Jesus that can change your life. I want to introduce you to a Jesus that is Lord and friend. I want to introduce you to a Jesus that is transformative. <laughs> I could stand up here and talk about him all day long, but if we're going to have revival in Southern California, if we're going to have revival across the United States of America, Jesus is the point. And if we're going to a consumeristic mall Amazon Jesus, 
that's convenient for our lives, then we will not have the revival we want. And we will not leave the world a better place than we found it. That's one of the best lessons I ever learned from my old man. Leave the things you borrow better than you found it. Fill the tank up with gas, wash the car, take care of it. We have a responsibility in this room to leave this world with a revival. It's not just, it's not just something that could be or something that would be nice. The world needs not just the revival of the church, but the revival of the world itself. Not just people on the fringes of the church coming back in, right. but people that are so lost and so broken and so beyond help, that are so dead in their souls, that only the Lord Jesus, our Lord, could have done it. We bring a lot of people in with marketing. We bring a lot of people in with a lot of different things in the church today. Awesome. Great. But those are mostly people that are already interested in what you're talking about. Give me the atheists. Give me someone with a needle in their arm. Give me the gays, the transsexuals, and every single person that would say, the church is my enemy and Jesus is my enemy. Yeah. And I want to see him transform that. Yes. Because he's the only one that can. We keep trying to solve these huge identity issues in the lives of people with just counseling and psychology, but only the Spirit of God and His power through the Lord Jesus can transform a life. You can't just love someone enough. You can't just let things pass over time. It requires power. Because what is compassion without power? Right, if Jesus came to earth as the Son of God and said, love y'all, <laughs> but don't have the power to raise the dead, don't have the power to make the leper cleanse, don't have the power to open the eyes of the blind, didn't have the power to raise himself from the grave, or just the determination from the Spirit of Christ to walk up the hill at Calvary and die for you. Yeah. Even when everything in his flesh was agonizing and telling him to turn around, they're not worth it. And the devil was telling him, they're not worth it. What's the difference between a Jesus like that and a Jesus that's nice? I don't need nice Jesus. I need Lord Jesus. I need compassionate Jesus. I need kind Jesus. Don't give me nice God with the perfect cashmere sweater and like a scarf around his neck. We've turned this Jesus, literally, watch anything on TV about Jesus. The last one was a flippin' Brazilian model. And he was a nice guy, even when he goes into the temple to turn over tables. Oh. Ooh, that was heavy. Oh. Slowly turn him over. Oh. You've turned it into a house of robbers. This Jesus walked in to the temple courts. Now, let me give you a picture of this whole scenario. So Jesus shows up. It's the end of the day, right? Shows up at the temple courts with his disciples. They're all talking about how big everything is. And it was a magnificent structure, really, especially for the day. Pretty incredible, right? Very rich place. Lots of gold, lots of ornate things. Like, unbelievable. To the point where, like... Literally, the, every stone was overturned, just like Jesus said, because 
A fire was so hot in the temple when the Romans destroyed it that gold was melting between the stones. The Romans pried them open to get the gold out. I, I saw the stones myself. So this place is like wildly immaculate and beautiful. Jesus takes a look around and goes back home. Right? Or Bethany, I believe, is where he was staying. Comes back the next day, walks in with his, with his disciples, right? And all of a sudden, like imagine hanging out with this guy. Just, just a picture of he's your pastor for a second, okay? Or like at best your youth leader, because these guys are like 17 and 18, right? Everyone had a crazy youth leader. Dude pulls out a whip and starts whacking at people, using it, the Bible says in the original language, with skill to drive out the money changers. And he's flipping over tables all around him, throwing people all over the place. And think of, think of the chaos. There were cattle, there were sheep, there were doves, there were, there's cattle and just crap everywhere. <laughs> Literally, it's just absolute chaos. And at the center of this storm is this man, Jesus, cracking a whip, shouting at people, telling them they're thieves and robbers, and they've destroyed his father's house. So not only is he turning over the money changers and sending sacrificial animals running out the door, nobody's touching him, which is wild in and of itself. Not only is he doing that, but he claims that he's the son of God all in one moment. So while he's cracking a whip in the temple, he says, you've destroyed my father's house. You notice that nobody else in the New Testament is calling God their father. That's something that comes later, like Ephesians time. And Paul the Apostle had a revelation of grace and the fact that we we're made part of a new family. At that time, Jesus was the only one that could call God Father. And, and it's so incredible to me that the only thing that anyone comes up with later on in the day, because Jesus doesn't run away after this, right? He leaves the chaos. He sits down in the temple courts and starts teaching people. <laughs> you know, like when you destroy a place, like you usually bail. <laughs> like, I'm going to go now. I remember one time in high school, like I was just like a jerk. And we had these like little, uh, we had golf drivers. And we went into a McDonald's one night and stacked a bunch of creamers on top of each other. And we're just driving them into the windows and then ran out the door. And I just saw, like, this is when we, I stopped being such a mean kid. I saw the McDonald's worker walk out and just go, Shake his head and walk over and clean it up. And I'm like, I'm a terrible person. I need to stop doing that. <laughs> All that being said, I didn't just sit in the McDonald's and start teaching people about God. Right? Not that I could have because yeah. I was drunk. But you have to imagine, Jesus made this whip himself overnight. So, and first of all, it's pretty cool he knew how to make one. But... It's an act of premeditated rage. This dude was stewing on this all night long and came prepared to rumble. Is that the Jesus that you normally see on TV? Is that the Jesus you serve? Let me give you an idea of why he did this. Because people are like, well, he just got pissed and threw over some money changers and... It seems a little weird, but nobody touched him because he was like raising people from the dead, so they just let him go, right? 
So what happened when you walked into the temple is you would have foreign currency, probably most likely Roman coins, which would have, at the time, uh, I forget which emperor at the time, but they would have that Caesar's insignia on the coin, right? You could not bring that insignia into the temple. Why? Because you can't have idols in the temple. Putting someone's face like that as a, as a mad, like, god king on that coin was bringing an idol into the temple, right? So these people that came from distance um, or could not afford a sacrifice would have to exchange money, get temple money, and then buy a sacrifice. So there's three exchanges happening, right? So they come in with currency they use everywhere else. They exchange for temple currency, which is sacrificially or, or ceremonially clean. And then they use that ceremonially clean money <laughs> to <laughs> buy sacrifices. Why did I do this in a German way? <laughs> um, but <laughs> what they would do in between is they would charge a tax, right? So they would charge interest. And the Bible clearly says not to charge your own people interest. But the worst thing about this was that poor people would not be able to buy the best possible sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So in essence, what these money-changing tables were doing were blocking the poorest of the poor and the Gentiles, because that's the only place the Gentiles could be in the entire temple, from meeting God. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus walks in, he sees a bunch of people stopping people, the poorest of the poor and those that need God the most, from getting to God. So you can see why he flew into a rage. This guy, in a couple of weeks, is about to be hung on a cross. His time was almost up when he did that. He was like, it seemed like he's trying to provoke. Like, all right, crucify me already. Let's get this over with. Right? He's throwing tables all over the place. He's almost dead, right? And he knows. He knows in his heart and in his mind. He's like, that's where he's headed. He's headed to a cross. And he's looking at a bunch of people that have built a system of religion that are holding... Those that need God the most back from him. So this is why Jesus is sitting in a house in the dark, maybe with a little bit of candlelight, putting together a whip. In an act of premeditated rage, he goes into this temple and flips over these tables and cleanses what they call the cleansing of the temple. Would we be so lucky to have that kind of Jesus mm-hmm. remove those tables and those money changers and those things in our own hearts? Mm-hmm. You need a Jesus that's brutal. You don't need a Jesus that plays games with your sin, that coddles your sin, that thinks it's okay that you do the things that you do. The things that are stopping you from getting to his Father mm-hmm. make him so furious. Mm-hmm. That that was just a tiny sample of what he pointed towards it. And then he goes so far as to die on a cross and bleed for you to remove those things from your life. And then he goes a step further and comes back from the dead. He comes back from the dead. Can we just stop there for one second? (laughs) Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, he did. (laughs) (laughs) 
have you seen this before? <laughs> have you been around lots of resurrections in your lifetime? Because when I read from four different accounts about one man that rose from the grave and claimed to be the Son of God, and three of the four of those men died martyrs, I'm like, huh, maybe he did come back from the dead. Maybe this thing is worth it. See, this nice Jesus that's going to give you everything you want won't give you anything you want in the end. Mm. All of us have the same exact problem. How do we live the good life here on earth, and how do we get eternal life? How do we get the real thing? How do you get that overabundant joy? How do you get that stuff, that thing, that thing you can't put a word in English to. All of us are looking for something, and we look for it in work, in money, in possessions, in people, in controlling them, in running their lives or ruining their lives. And maybe even building a family, things that seem good, or building a church, even better. What a great cover story. (laughs) If I just build this church big enough or good enough, maybe I'll have that thing Jesus talks about called eternal life. But real Jesus takes you down a path that is narrow, through a door that is narrow, through a place where you pick up your cross on a daily basis and follow him. Real Jesus does not tell you it's going to be easy, but he gives you every ounce of strength in order to accomplish it. That's what we call grace. What would drive you mad enough and crazy enough to get beaten with rods in front of everybody you know in a town that you live in and be happy about it? Like, imagine, let's just imagine right now, like, someone comes in here and says, you shouldn't preach Jesus anymore, beats me in front of everybody I know in Huntington Beach with a lead pipe multiple times, so I'm literally, my body's destroyed, and I come back to all of you guys, and I'm like, stoked! Glory to the king! Like, it's the best thing that could have happened to me! <laughs> Y'all are like, you need to talk to, like, law enforcement, or, like, something, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, something went wrong here. Do you realize that? No, nothing went wrong, because you realize that in all your vulnerability in the kingdom, you're completely invulnerable. Nothing can touch you when you follow Jesus. Not even death itself. And that can give you the confidence and the love and the joy that Jesus talks about when he says eternal life. And it's not just eternal life then. We need to get in our heads, eternal life is now. The eternal life he's talking about is a substance. It's a thing. (laughs) It's not just a place we go to. You don't have to be unhappy. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be broken. You don't have to be stuck in sin anymore. You know why? Because Jesus died for you. Jesus is walking in to the realms of your heart and your spirit and your mind, and he's got a whip ready to go to drive out the money changers. Anything that is stopping you from getting to God, he is prepared to drive out of your life. If only we would submit to him as Lord. Move on from pal Jesus. I want you to find a Jesus that's the best friend of all. 
Because wouldn't it be better to have a friend that's king of the universe than a friend you made up? <laughs> okay, guys, let me say that again. Imaginary friend? King of the universe that rose from the dead friend. Wouldn't that be so much better? Wouldn't it be better for all of us? Wouldn't the real blood of Jesus sanctifying us and cleansing us of our sin be so much better? Wouldn't living in resurrection power be so much better? Wouldn't listening to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis be so much better? Wouldn't reading the Gospels and letting it read us be so much better? I want you to remove all the caricatures that you have of Jesus in your mind. All the things people have put on you. It would be useful, I think, for every single person in this church over the next month. And this is going to be everything we're talking about over the next month. It would be useful for all of us to bury ourselves in the Gospels and not leave for a while. And every time Jesus offends you, stop for a second. It's going to be often. It really is. It's brutal, man. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, I'm right or I'm left. Jesus doesn't say, I'm liberal or I'm conservative. Jesus doesn't say, I'm for this and against that. He says, I am for me, I am me, and I was before time began. There is my way or there is no way. A lot of us are putting hope in some really ridiculous things and getting real emotional on Facebooks about some really stupid things. <laughs> I, have, like, I have some deep convictions when it comes to things that I believe about being an American, right? But none of it, all of it pales in comparison to the Lordship of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. He could go like this. America's gone. All of us. The fact that I'm breathing is on his behest. The fact that there is air at all. For me to breathe is because he made it. And I'm like, well, I disagree with your politics. <laughs> I don't think that's the right way to do it. Yeah, some things are terrible and obviously evil in politics, but those aren't going to solve our problems. The only thing that's going to solve our problem is not the kingdoms of, of this world, but the kingdom of our God. You know yeah, why the original, yeah. the original Christians got persecuted? Because they said, Jesus is Lord. And everyone else is saying, no, Caesar is. What are people saying now? Government is Lord. My, per my position is Lord. My feelings are Lord. And what you get crucified, I guarantee it. Every time you tell someone, no, Jesus is in charge of your feelings if you want him to be. <laughs> That's unpopular. <laughs> right? That's like the most unpopular thing you can say. I'm feeling this. Well, what can Jesus do about that? <laughs> He's got resurrection power. Woo. Yeah. You may be feeling depressed. You may be feeling sadness. You may be feeling frustrated, frustration, anger, constant, constant battering of addictions that you're trying to break. But the reality is that Jesus can do something about that. Yeah. Because he's Lord. Your opinion, your position, what you think, what you think you thought, and whatever you end up thinking, really none of it matters compared to the teachings and life of Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth.
until we can figure that out. Because here's what I try and do all the time with God, right? And I'll wrap this up here in a second, because I really could talk about it all night, but I'm having fun. So, it's my turn, I'll do it all. Just kidding, it's yours. So the reality is, right, every once in a while I'll find a philosophy that I really like, right? That makes sense to me, right? So I won't get into, like, details of it, but, like, maybe it's a certain kind of disciplining myself. Or maybe it's a certain philosophy about government. And I'll say, this fits perfectly with Jesus. And I'll try and tack it on top of him. And then tack something else on top of him. And then tack something else on top of him. And then tack something else on top of him. And the reality is, is I'm not putting these things on top of Jesus at all. He hasn't moved. He hasn't changed. He's unchangeable. Like we say, his mercies are new every day, right? But that's something that's unchanging about him. Right? Yeah. It's kind of weird. He's just a big paradox. <laughs> but otherwise, he wouldn't be God. So the reality is that so many of us are trying to take the philosophy of this world, the philosophy of whatever you're taught in school, the philosophy of anything, consumerism, stoicism, you name it, or even Eastern religion is a philosophy that tries to get in by works. Or the philosophy which I ascribe to for a long time, the philosophy of just straight-up discipline. Discipline fixes everything. <laughs> Except for 99.9% .9 of everything you can't control. <laughs> right? Like, well, if I just discipline myself, then this person won't die of cancer. Incorrect. <laughs> you can't control that. Right. The only thing that matters is Jesus. That's why when they try and drag him into politics, he's like, no, you know what, I'm good. When they say, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar, right? So this is what the Pharisees asked Jesus. This is a really important question for our time, right? So they're trying to drag him into politics, because this is what they're discussing in inner circles. You've got to think of Jerusalem as a very metropolitan city. Like, it's a key trading point in the Middle East. That's why the Romans wanted it so badly. You have to go through that to get to everywhere. So they're talking about politics. There's a lot of people saying we need to get rid of the Romans. We're going to throw them out, right? There's a lot of people saying, no, we just need to do what we're doing and you know, pay our taxes, and eventually they'll fade away. We'll always be Jews, right? So they try and drag him into this argument. They say, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Now, Caesar's claiming to be God. So that's another offense to these very religious people. And Jesus, it says in the scripture, knowing that they're trying to trap him, says, give to God what is God, and Caesar's, to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, he makes a lot of points in two sentences that I can't get into right now that is just mind-boggling. He's so... Brilliant. And if you keep reading Jesus on the surface, you won't realize it, and then you won't want to follow him because you don't think he's smart. You think he said some spiritual things and then moved on from the earth. But Jesus turns this whole situ situation on its head and says, basically, there's only one position and it's mine. Now, let me explain that to you. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. What's on the coin? Caesar. Caesar's image, right? That's how they would say it. The image of Caesar. Everywhere that currency was spread, Caesar was in charge. Right. 
What else does Jesus say? Give to God what is God's. Where is his image? On us. In us. Through us. Everywhere we walk, our God is in control. It's a reminder to Satan and all his enemies that his image is in something. You know what's valuable to Jesus? Where God's image is. On us. So they try and make some political statement and he says, no, okay, let me bring this back. What matters? Where God's image is. When you have a disagreement anywhere in life, should you pay it off? What do I need to do? What's important? What does love require? Because I need to honor the image of God in that person. So Jesus transcends politics, ideas, anything that you can think of in philosophy. Because he made it all. And until we meet that Jesus, we're going to find that we're trying to save ourselves over and over and over and over and over again and fail. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to salvation. There's only one way. And that's Jesus Christ. One way to eternal life. Cannot allow in our church or in the lives of people that we really love any other ideas to make their way in and say, I'm king. No, I'll solve your problems. So this is what we need to do, okay? I believe. Is over the next week, you can write about it, you can think about it. I prefer writing about it. Where in your life do you have a made-up Jesus? And if you don't think you do, <laughs> I mean, good luck to you. That, that would be awesome. I think it's definitely possible, otherwise I wouldn't be here. But let's take a close examination of who we're following in the most important areas of our life. Wait, who am I listening to the most then? Who am I taking advice from the most? What am I reading the most about that? Okay? I'll finish there. <laughs> it's abrupt, but... <laughs> for tuning in today. We hope you feel inspired, encouraged, and empowered to change the world for the name of Jesus. Make sure to tune in and listen to our other podcasts and download our app, Salt Churches, found on iTunes. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. Thanks. Have a great day.